Welcome, neighbor, to Folk U Radio, Folk University's talk show, taking old school viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to my senses? Today's episode is produced in collaboration with Cortez Currents, What's Current on Cortez and Beyond. Neighbor, and welcome to Folk You Radio 101, where we ask our neighbors, What do you know? What do you know? Today's show is What the Folk is Happening with the Free Store. And no, I, I am not cursing. It's a cold, gray day here on Cortez Island, the home of CKTZ, Cortez Community Radio. 89.5 FM, and on the web at CortezRadio.ca. And I'd like all of you listening from wherever you are listening to take a moment to thank the land that you call home and to remember those that have cared for it before you and for those that continue to care for it now. Here, from where we broadcast, we are on the unceded territorial lands of the Klahus, Slyaman, and Hamako peoples. I'd like to thank these and all the neighbors that continue to love and work to honor this place we call home. At your house, are you thinking and wondering about the free store? If you live on Cortez Island, the answer is probably yes. Are you drowning in stuff? Or, like friends of mine, are you down to two bowls in a household of four people? Every week, I hear new theories as to what happened to the free store, where it went, what we'll take to get it back, and also exciting possibilities for how we can use the free store model to grow our capacity on the island for keeping our resources local, making better use of what we have, and reducing what we ship off island. So we have an interesting show today, if to nobody else but me, then at least to me. First, we have Noba Anderson, our SRD elected representative for the island, in studio. And then we will hear from Lorianne, the free store volunteer extraordinaire, about the free store reopening plan. There's a little preview to what you're going to hear later. Did you know that the free store on Cortez has been in operation since 1993? That is no small time and no small feat. So first, we are now going to turn over to welcome Noba. Thank you so much for being here, Noba. What a pleasure. Thank you, Amanda. What is the free store? Is it a, <laughs> like we've been there, you know, it's a physical space. I've been into it. But where does it exist in the world of organizations? Is it a charity? Is it just like a fancy building that they built next to the dump? Like what what is the free store? It's a phenomenal little oddity that somehow has flourished with literally no organizational structure. And it's one of those miracles of grassroots, um, just go get her done kind of spirit. I, it's, be, it's beyond me that it works as well as it does. And I really take my hats off to people who have worked so hard for you know a generation to keep that place open. But no, it is not a charity. It is not a society. It is not... 
um, even, you know, blessings to all the volunteers, even a particularly coordinated group of volunteers. From what I understand, uh, the, you know, the two ladies that do Thursday, if somebody needs to retire, they try to find somebody else to help the other one on Thursday. Um, I mean, Lorianne, as you'll hear, has stepped up a little bit in these COVID times and taken some leadership. And certainly others over the years have, you know, tried to reach out to the other ladies who work on Fridays or, you know, try to pull the group together a little bit. But it is stunningly organic um, and without structure. Even even internally, there isn't, as far as I understand, much organizational cohesion in terms of, you know, what the Thursday group will do versus what the Saturday group would do. Would do. And do they even have systems that, um, that complement each other very well? Which is, I'm sure, part of the appeal for a lot of people. No board meetings. Yes. <laughs> I <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I must admit, maybe three years ago or so, maybe four, um, in you know an earlier iteration of this conversation we're going to have today about the long-term nature of what happened might happen with the free store and some needs for up building upgrades literally like the rotting fascia and what do you do with you know the rodents and and so I pulled together a group the volunteers at the time and thinking I was bringing them into a conversation about long term and I mean not only did they not want to have that conversation but they hardly wanted to have a conversation even amongst themselves about how to organize the free store better which they did a little bit because they treasured the um, the level of organicness that it was and that they could just show up every Thursday at nine and play with cloth and play with people and keep stuff out of the landfill and and use their passion and not have to get dragged into bureaucracy. So it's it's often very different kinds of people, those who like to organize and those who like to just do. And uh, so we might have some interesting conversations here over the next hour about how to marry those two. I, I do really appreciate the folk you spirit of it, right? Where it's just like, <laughs> let's just see what needs to be done and do it. Totally. <laughs> but at the same time, I, th- I feel like the free store has gotten kind of swept up into a, a larger global situation that has meant that little rural communities where everything we do is an event versus an established store have really uh, suffered, struggled. Yeah. I've heard now along the way, and we'll hear um, in our little talk with Lorianne later, that the free store sits on SRD land. Do, do you know whether this is true? And um, if so, what is its relationship to the Strathcona Regional District? Sure. <clears throat> in two th- Up until 2008, from, from when the regional district structure was created, I think in the late 60s, until... 2008, we were governed by the Comox Strathcona Regional District. And the Comox Strathcona Regional District was really forcibly split by the province into two new regional districts. And at that time, the Strathcona Regional District was born, and I was elected just a handful of months after that took effect. And then the Comox Valley Regional District stayed on down in the Comox Valley. Um, And most of our governance now with the Strathcona Regional District is squarely with the Strathcona Regional District. So our parks and our planning and our grant and aid and our emergency service and stuff is with the SRD. But when that split happened in 2008, the province required that that joint board, all of the directors from the Strathcona and the Comox Valley regions, sit together on solid waste and on hospital. So those are the two matters that we um, have a joint board on. So there's 
I think, 23 different board members that get together every uh, month or two, depending on the season, to talk about our solid waste. And we have um, landfills and transfer stations and, um, you know, compost pilot programs across the whole region from Cayucat uh, to Quadra to um, Hornby Island, the, the whole region. And so it is that Comox Strathcona solid waste service that actually manages um, our operations here on Cortez Island and has the crown lease to that piece of land. So that piece of land that the Recycle Centre on is actually crown land um, with a very long-term lease to the solid waste service. <clears throat> now the Free Store building, uh, I, you know, I got to give my hats off to to Dova and Bill Friedel and others back in the day who made that building happen because it I don't I don't have my dates and Morgan will if we get into that video it'd be lovely to or audio it'd be lovely to hear some of Morgan's podcast because he has the chronology much more than I but I remember when there was this really super ramshackle little building where the recycling bays are now that had sort of a room that I wouldn't have really called a free store. It was the earliest incarnation of the free store where people would just, you know, dump the, their stuff they didn't want that they thought somebody else might use and you'd kind of just go and paw through it and there were bags and heaps of things and every once in a while some volunteers would come and sort of sort it out and make it a little bit better and then it would, you know, heap up again. And um, so when when the next iteration happened of the free store when Dova was the manager there, she was able to you know, gather up a bunch of people enthusiastic about making that a really beautiful space and built the building that we now know and love. But literally, as far as I can tell, with no authority from the regional district, no permits, no permissions, no <clears throat> approvals by the regional district board, no concurrence with staff. Like, I actually don't know how that happened if you don't just put up a building overnight. It's remarkable. So, you know, back to the, like, let's just get her done kind of attitude. <clears throat> And although it was certainly built very well, and there were people involved who uh, helped design it and um, and bring good wood and, and help build it, it certainly is not built to code, and um, and it wasn't ever really entirely finished, as as you can see if you go inside and look up. Um, so if the building is covered by the regional district insurance, in in so much as the whole site has liability coverage but that is literally the extent of its acknowledgement at the regional district books it's not a it's not an asset or a liability on the books there's there's no history of it um, they acknowledge that it's there and that it's a very important part of the solid waste management stream and of community culture but they don't do anything about it and the contract that brian has to run the center is a contract that he holds with the regional district and the free store and the, the old share shed aren't part of that contract at all. So any interface or any time that he puts into support of the free stores is on his, you know, volunteer time, really. Um, so how this really came to my attention a number of years ago was when a, a few of the volunteers and associated free store lovers um, wanted to either fix up the free store a little bit, um, or add on to it, make a little bit more space, either for just more room inside the free store or a room where they could, the volunteers could store seasonal stuff so that not everything had to be out on the floor. And what we got into very quickly was that if you were going to improve or expand the space beyond, you know, sort of fixing a fascia board, that you would need to bring the whole building up to code. And it probably isn't worth doing that. It's probably worth starting again. 
which then begs the question, do you rebuild it in that spot? Do you try to find another spot on that site? Or is that the best site on the island overall? So it just opened this whole can of worms that the volunteers at the time who just loved coming and and deal and going through clothes and fabric just didn't have the interest in in getting involved with and and so here we are in a situation where the the non-organization structure that is that is brilliant in so many ways doesn't have the resilience to respond to the kind of disruption that covid has presented and i expect as um climate change continues, we'll see all kinds of other disruptions as social systems begin to fray around the edges. And so um, it's really worth our consideration because it is such a core piece to our fabric, socially, stuff-wise, um, economically, that how can we have some iteration of the free store that really serves us really well into the long run and that has the resilience to cope with disruptions? And as we've seen, the free store is closed not because it couldn't legally be open now, and Lorianne will speak more to that, but because there wasn't the organizational structure to respond and put together the COVID safety plan and liaise with the regional district. And and the volunteers are now figuring out how to do that, and it will, it will reopen, but there wasn't the leadership to do that in a timely way or know how to navigate that, really. And Lorianne doesn't actually talk too much about this part in her uh, little segment that we'll hear, but it is my understanding that it sort of, you know, after a few months, um, this is my impression. She was just sort of like, where's the free store? <laughs> like, when are we ever going to be able to come back? And so she started just calling, right? Yeah. Calling the, um, yeah. the regional district um, solid waste and kind of being like, when, when, how, when, yeah. um, and because there is no organization or, you know, even that was just sort of out of her own curiosity, interest, desires, sure. right, motivation, not because there was someone who... Not because she's the appointed coordinator. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Um, so uh, yeah. luckily between uh, you and her, the enough win-win-wins happened. Um, so I'm wondering, though, in this process... Uh, in your role, have you been to other islands? Do they have free stores? Are Do they look like ours? Do they operate like ours? Are there other models that you run across that get you excited? What else is out there? Mm-hmm. So I haven't by any means done an extensive sweep across the province of free stores. It'd be great if somebody did. Um, by far the best model to look to is Hornby. My understanding historically is Hornby and Cortez have a very similar kind of history around the free store. Um, I went to Hornby about this just a little over a year ago on a number of occasions, really looking into the governance structure of the island as a whole. It's fascinating what they do. And that um, interfaces with the free store in in a really interesting way. Um, But apart from Hornby in the region, I'm only aware of either in urban centers you've you've got the thrift stores, which are usually charity-driven, or sometimes in really small communities like Sayward, the municipality will have kind of a share shed. And it's a completely unmanned, no door, just like, you know, bus stop shelter where people can leave stuff and pick stuff up. And the, and the you know, maintenance guy will go by sometimes and just throw stuff in the garbage. Um, and varying reports on whether those are a service or you know, pain in the butt to communities. So in terms of really functioning community-based, not-for-profit free stores, really I only know the Cortez and Hornby models in any depth. And Hornby, like 
very, very much like ours, started out as this utterly grassroots, completely non-formalized um, free store. Um, but because they have a residence and ratepayers association that goes back to the 30s or before, nobody's actually really sure, it seems like, when the ratepayers association started, which then turned into the residence and ratepayers association, it... Um, in many ways, is the local governance structure on Hornby. If you ask the uninformed, unengaged Hornby resident who the local government is, they're just as likely to say the Residents Association than they are to say the Regional District. Because the Residents Association, or HIRA, the Hornby Island Residents and Ratepayers Association, they hold all of the contracts with the Regional District for local service delivery. So... For instance, the parks. Here on Cortez Island, the Friends of Cortez Island manage a lot of our parks, but not all of them. Um, a couple of them are privately contracted out to individuals who manage the odd park. Um, Brian is manages the Recycle Centre on behalf of the Regional District. Uh, the Fire Department is a separate legal entity, the, the Firefighting Association, and they have a contract with the Regional District to provide fire services. So there's all these separate entities that have separate contracts with the regional districts for the delivery of service here. On Hornby, it's Hira that has all of those contracts. So the the parks, the fire department, the um, recycle center, the they've got a privy council because they've got a bunch of outhouses around the island because in the summer the population is, is so much more with tourism. So they've got the privy council service. Um, so all of those services um, are under the umbrella of this hundred-year-old or more society that meets monthly, has open meetings, has a very, very broad membership in the community, and has literally hundreds of volunteers and all these committees that make all these things happen. So when Hira started to develop the relationship with the regional district around taking over the management of the dump at the time, and I remember back as a kid here, we would burn our dump from time to time. It was literally just dump it over the dump and burn it and the ravens and bears would come and paw through it, right? So we've come a long way since then. So I don't know the, the details of the history of Hornby, but over time, Hira became the contractor to look after that whole space, the recycling, uh, the garbage transport off-island, and the little free store. And like ours, it was a funky little building that served well enough at the time. And they have a tax service, um, that supports that whole recycling and garbage operation that uh, the, the taxpayers, the property taxpayers pay into. And similarly, at the Strathcona Regional District, we also have a, I don't remember exactly what it's called, a, you know, an, oh, the old 1972 garbage waste disposal service or whatever it is. And properties pay into that from your property taxes. And that goes towards the operations of the solid waste service here um, over in Squirrel Cove or at, at the Recycle Center. So Hornby um, decided that they would increase the tax requisition in that particular service in order to borrow the money to build a really great, big, permanent, solid free store. Not that long ago, maybe I'm going to say five years ago or so. And um, it's a very, very large space. Their population is about 1,000 in the winter and goes up, depending on who you talk to, from five to 12,000 in the summer. So they're, they're much bigger scale. 
Um, so their free store is very, very large. Um, it has hours of operation where when the recycle center is open, just like ours, it's open and people can go and, and shop and there's volunteers in attendance. But unlike ours, interestingly enough, it's always open. So you can't drive into the site all the time, but 24 hours a day, if you walk into the site, the building is open, you can open the door and go in and, you know, if you need a pair of pants or you, you need something, it's always there. Um, and they've they designed their, the whole site such that people can get into the free store, but they can't get into, you know, where the dumpsters are, for instance. Anyway, I digress a little bit. But the community, through this HIRA structure, decided to formalize their free store, pay for it, build it in a really good way, and fund it over, um, and pay for those uh, that borrowing over time through the property tax requisition. Now, my understanding in speaking with Daniel Arbor, who's my equivalent elected over on Hornby and Denman and, and Bain Sound, is that there's now discussion about having an, a small ongoing tax to actually support the ongoing operations of the free store. Um, to, And I don't know the details if that's to pay people a little bit to manage it or perhaps they have an internal needs for cleaning, expansion, maintenance, I don't know. Um, so that is one model that is, in theory, available to us. Although, so often when I talk to people, we go, oh, God, we just went through this 10-year nightmare about creating a new tax service. And we, who wants to take the thing that we all love and turn it into something we fight about? So I don't know that that is a good solution in the culture of, of the island. Um, but it may well be legally one that we could explore. And, and I have some more you know, bureaucratic nightmare details about that if you want. I do actually like bureaucratic nightmare details. So <laughs> the listeners I mean, might not. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I wonder is why isn't it something that could be receiving money from the taxes we're already paying to deal with our waste? By the way, our recycling center on this island is amazing. Uh, we're doing such a good job um, finding homes for our recycling, way better than uh, many bigger communities. But my understanding is his contract is completely different, for instance, than the contract to pick up uh, curbside garbage. That stuff is not necessarily dealt with the same way. Um, it's just packaged up and sent off the island without uh, being sorted first. So that's already, that seems strange, right? Like they're t as if there are two d different things on our one little island. So why wouldn't um, the stuff that like goes to the dump, but that we reuse and, you know, ideally keeping it on the island instead of throwing it away, why couldn't that be considered part of receiving some benefit from our, from our tax dollars? Yeah. So I'm going to talk to you, Manda, the policy geek. And if you at home are going to tune out for a few minutes, totally fair. I won't take offense. So when the split of the regional district happened, um, the Comox Valley deals with the, the large solid waste matter. So the, as I say, the, the landfills, the big projects at a regional level. Um, and the Strathcona Regional District gets all the local Cortez-specific services, as I said, fire, planning, parks, whatever it might be. So it was determined that curbside pickup was a local service, whereas the management of the solid waste of the recycling center was a regional service. And so when I was first elected 12 years ago, actually it was Strathcona that paid for the transportation of the garbage from Cortez over to Campbell River and not the 
combined solid waste service of, of the combined regional districts. And over time, we realized that really wasn't fair, that that was indeed part of a whole regional service. So now the transportation of the containers of garbage that leave the island is paid for by the whole Comox-Strathcona area. Um, and we certainly get subsidized as a small community because it costs more than our tax-based support so that the bigger towns help help fund that. The garbage collection, on the other hand, from your driveway to the free store is still considered like a municipal service. So if we were in a city, it would be the municipality that would contract the private waste haulers to pick up your garbage curbside, and they would fund that through your property taxes to the municipality. So in the absence of a municipality, it's the Strathcona that is that municipal equivalent. And so we pay for for the curbside pickup. Um, And that's why if I bring my recycling into the center, it gets processed differently than if it gets picked up at curbside and brought into the center because they're, in fact, two different legal entities and relationships. (laughs) I know, truly. So your question back to, to funding is I've been advocating, soft advocating for a long time at the combined solid waste board that we consider free stores and reuse centers maybe as a more politically correct term because people often think of free stores as just sort of junk heaps um, but reuse centers as being part of what we would uh, fund at a regional level and manage at a regional level because it's part of our whole regional solid waste stream um, but there hasn't been buy-in at the board on that and I haven't pushed very hard the board being largely municipal uh, the, the vast majority of, of the board are reps from Comox, Cumberland Courtney, Campbell River. So pretty different perspective. Their perspective is that that's handled by the the Salvation Armies. So there was a report a few years ago that came to the board uh, that spoke about free stores potentially in the cities. And it determined, I think quite rightly, that that would be redundant. But as almost as a footnote in that report, it said, oh, but the rural centers, actually, it's real a real value and maybe we could expand it there. Um, and even though I jumped up and down and went, yay, 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 there, that wasn't taken up by the board overall. So just in this COVID period, I've been, in fact, digging into, okay, what what would this take? Um, so in order for the combined solid waste board to want to take this on, it's, it's just political will. Um, as far as I can tell in speaking with staff, there's no legal impediment. There's no financial impediment. There's, there's no non-starter. It's just convincing a board of 23 people who represent a huge diversity of constituencies that it is worth funding and managing a whole bunch of very different rural situations all over the place, which may or may not actually be the best model. Um, The alternative is to, if we want to go with a regional district system, now we could do a totally nonprofit and not have anything to do with the government or their free store. But the other alternative, if we did want to still link ourselves, or consider linking ourselves formally to the local government would be like what Hornby did, which is creating their own Hornby Island tax service, if you will, or increasing the existing one they had um, through their own municipal-like local service. So then I've been in touch with the Strathcona Regional District to say, okay, so the the our local tax-funded um, garbage tax that we essentially just pay to the Comox Valley Regional District to take to pay for our tipping fees when we take our garbage to the dump in Campbell River. Could we 
if there was community will, I'm, I'm not saying that there is, but I'm just trying to find out options. Could we, in principle, um, increase the taxation to that and include free stores in our offerings to the public? And the answer is unclear. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spare you the weeds on that, but it is un, the jurisdictionality between the SRD and the CVRD after the split of the regional districts is not entirely clear. So I don't have a... I don't have a clear answer for you about whether we even could do a Hornby equivalent here under our existing uh, garbage service or whether we would need to create a whole new free store service like we did with the halls. Uh, so it seems like the really the options are either we convince this to be a regional initiative by the Solid Waste Board. Maybe there's some way of, of doing it under our existing you know, 1972 garbage service yet to be determined. We could create a new service, just like we did for the halls, or we can leave the regional district out of it entirely, and there could be some kind of nonprofit created or under the umbrella of existing nonprofit or some slightly more for formalized um, non-organizational structure uh, that could fundraise quite separately. And I don't think that's beyond doable at all. I mean, the history of this island of pulling together and fundraising and making stuff happen and putting barns up and um, is certainly within our grasp if we didn't want to involve local government at all. Um, but it would mean there wouldn't be a secure ongoing funding source, uh, which might be fine. Uh, but then you also wouldn't need to constantly be negotiating with some large entity off island. So there's pros and cons both ways. And in the interim, we have this funky system that mostly works as long as there aren't disruptions that some people really love and don't want to muck with at all. So I, you know, I beg a question of you also, man, as a community organizer, how do we even begin that discussion when there's so many different views on organization versus non-organization um, and there's nobody even really to take ownership over that conversation? Is it me? Maybe by default, uh, is it Lorianne? Maybe by default, but really it's a, a resource that belongs to all of us. So it's, it's yours and mine as much as it is my neighbors. And that is the thing that I'm hoping we just get more practice with is talking through our ideas and seeing if we can, um, you know, sometimes not messing with things is just the best solution. Yeah. And, and then you get something like COVID and you start to see that, um, you know, this is just one of many, many examples where being in a rural community where we do not have as many pathways to have our voices heard has meant that whereas the rest of the world has had, uns, you know, has not been phased or after school activities have just continued, um, you know, kids went back in September and they managed to like keep things going. They were able to shop um, at their favorite craft stores for Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. Even during COVID, that was all able to happen in bigger communities, not because it, they were safer, right? But because <laughs> no. they had voices to advocate mm -hmm. for them in those organizations or those structures or those, you know, for-profits or whatever. And we, everything we do is just sort of a one-off. Um, and and I, what I find is the way that kind of the powers the be, um, you know, 
deal with one-offs is is to it's just easier to, <laughs> to stop them um, than to try to deal with all the million exceptions mm-hmm. for less than a thousand people who are yeah. whining way off in the little island. So our free store got closed not out of any great thinking. It was just the whole center got closed. The whole center. And nobody... I didn't even ask who had the authority to do that. It was just... It was March 13th and everything shut down. And then... A few months went by and then it was summer and then, you know, Brian wasn't maybe really thrilled around the traffic control and nobody really wanted to push and I didn't really want to push in the summer and then whatever, our lives go on and here we are a year later, right? My inclination with something like the free store would be a little bit like, well, it's good enough. All those things are pretty complicated. It's clearly going to involve some amount of pushing. Forget it. But then you start to see how I I like how you use the word resilient. We're actually we're not resilient because we do not have pathways, not just for our voice to be heard. But guys, there is money out there right now with COVID and and it's been really hard for a lot of our organizations to get access to it, though we need it so mm-hmm. badly because, once again, we don't have sort of these pathways for voice. So it does sort of start to feel like, oh, yeah. maybe this is an opportunity for us to dream bigger, to get funding, to make it happen. It could be. I mean, I had conversations a few years ago when this was really up last for me with Sandra, who at the time was our community grant writer really working on behalf of all of the nonprofit organizations before she began working with the housing exclusively. And even at that time, she was aware of all kinds of funding opportunities that could have been accessed for building a new building, running it, uh, building easier than operations, but somebody would need to apply. And is that going to be foci just because they're kind of eco-oriented or is that going to be the community economic development organization because that's ECDEV or but who even approaches them there's this group of volunteers who don't even know each other who who has agency and what I realized in those conversations a few years ago with the volunteers is you know I might have well I do I did have more of an inclination towards organizational formality than they did but I sure as heck wasn't going to push it and piss off the volunteers who made the whole thing happen every single day so I went on to other things. So who has the right, the authority, the the chutzpah, the social license to even convene a conversation? And any of us, the answer is any of us equally. And if we can do so in a way that um, is in communication with and engagement with the people who love it and keep it going on a day-to-day basis, brilliant. And I expect what we'll find um, and I haven't talked to Lorianne in a week or so, but she was about to reach out to all the, the mainstay volunteers when I last spoke with her. And she was expecting that a bunch of them weren't going to be coming back in COVID times just because of they're mostly seniors and either maybe they have health compromised situations or they live with partners who do. So she expected that this would naturally be a time for volunteer renewal. So perhaps this is a natural time for a a renewal of discussion, a renewal of energy, a renewal of interest, because we'll probably need more volunteers because there might, not need, might need to be somebody doing traffic and, um, you know, somebody maybe sorting on off days is because people need to drop off stuff a week ahead of time or whatever those operational details are. We might not only need a new set of volunteers, we might need more for at least a period of time which then might be that natural opportunity to have the bigger picture conversation in parallel. In terms of other ideas, I mean, certainly over the years, there's been efforts at um, 
at recycling building materials, and I know that there's some people who, you know, will show up on your demolition site and take materials away and then take the nails out of them and sell them again or try to repurpose them. Um, there's been some discussion about whether there could be a space to store used building materials, old windows, you know, your good bathtub that came out that still has life in it, those sorts of things. Over the years, I've also heard ideas about, as you say, sort of lending libraries, like the family support coordinator was talking some years ago about um, like a, a toy lending library where you could have a membership and you didn't have to buy all the kids things that your kids needed, but for at a more economical price, there's a way of sharing those kinds of things. Um, there's been various iterations of tool lending libraries ideas um, or or even sort of bicycle repair slash lending slash access to spaces. So there's um, there's lots of, of that. I mean, the libraries here started by that idea. You know, people had books that they weren't all reading and they were happy to put them in a central spot and share them around. And And I, I know that the little library here when I was a little girl before Vancouver Island Regional Library took it over was exactly that. You know, Mae Ellingson, bless her socks, was... I'm sure she wasn't the only volunteer. She's the one that I remember in my heart. But it was a big piece of, of what she did to make happen, to pull people's personal collections together and make them available. And um, and it was run really beautifully to the point where Verl took it over. And it became part of the regional system. At that point, a lot of those books got turfed because they weren't cataloged properly or whatever it might be. So uh, there's ups and downsides to becoming formal with with these things, certainly. Uh, there was some discussion about doing some of those lending libraries out of Linnea back in the day. I don't think that ever took. So one of the biggest questions that arises around location, because we're a community that was settled by water and by steamship, and we have these th sort of three primary nodes with um, you know, three stores and three community halls and three... You know, there's, there isn't a central spot. And on Hornby, that's, it's so very different. Although the population is similar, there's one of everything. There's one center. There's one store. There's one community hall. There's one fire hall. There's one of everything. Um, and so there, it's a no-brainer where you would put the dump and the recycling center and the free store is within this sort of half a mile radius where everything is. Whereas here... Our free store lives in the middle of, you know, respectfully, people who live in the Score Cove, little of middle of kind of nowhere. It's not close to any residential center. And so it makes it equally as accessible or inaccessible to all of us. Um, the beauty of its co-location with the, the, you know, I still call it the dump in my heart. I try not to. The recycling center is you can go there with all of your stuff. And in one spot, you put your garbage, your recycling, and your free store. And there's a beautiful efficiency to that. Uh, and a lot of people who would advocate very strongly that we continue to co-locate in that way. And if we're going to rebuild, uh, either rebuild it there or rebuild it somewhere on the site, uh, there's another potential spot on the site that it, it might go. And others say, actually, that needs to be close to people. It needs to be in the center where people can walk to and do their groceries and return their library book and, and go to the free store. At that point, do we have three of them? Or does it go in Manson's? Because when you have one of something, it goes here. So there's no easy answers to these questions, but I think it is worth a real concerted thing. So if it's going to be at the recycling center in the nature of 
having all stuff together. Maybe there could be little outposts, you know, um, or, you know, roving. Could there be a roving free store like, a, you know, the, the pop-up pizza truck that roves around and has rotating stuff in it that always connects back to the free store and gets a new load for the next Friday and comes to Friday market and there it is. Out. I mean, I don't know. It's a completely random new idea. But if it is going to be at the Recycle Center and if it is going to be an upgrade to the building that it has, it really shouldn't probably be built where it is because when it was built there 20 whatever years ago, the whole center didn't get the use that it gets now. Um, there's so many more people. We have more stuff in our lives 20 years later. Um, so we're there more often. So the traffic flow is just very, very congested. And I think this is Brian's biggest concern is just around traffic flow management, especially in COVID times where he takes it very seriously as his job to keep people apart. And that's really hard to do when you're really missing each other and see your, see your friend in the parking lot at the free store. Um, so we have scoped a possible location and, and we'd need to do a lot more site assessment. But that is as you're driving into the site, um, the, there's a, you go past that little wetland on the right. And then as you take the hard right hand turn around that wetland and finally into the recycle center, if you were to go straight ahead of you, that, that's the power line run that where the power lines come from the, the recycle center out to the road and there's that's the only other flat spot anywhere on the site and so some years ago I did walk that with Brian and staff from the Comox Valley and took an initial look around at whether there was a possibility of relocating the free store out there if we were to rebuild it and as I say more site assessment would be needed but I we would be um, going against uh, Brian's better judgment to rebuild it where it is and it isn't to say that it can't carry on for a number of years just find the building we have but if we were thinking really long term it's probably not right where that building is now i guess if we moved it a little bit then we could have our cake and eat it too we would have our existing building for the meantime and then get to build something big beautiful funded through some wonderful grant that we're going to find <laughs> Sorry. No, and, and hopefully laurianne and her crew will open it in the very short weeks to come and and uh, there'll be two stages to this conversation. Certainly one is you can go get your paws back on your beloved stuff. And then the other is this more bureaucratic one. Well, on to the second part of this conversation, which is hearing from Laurie-Ann Wilkinson, volunteer extraordinaire, who will talk to us a little bit about what happened during COVID with pop-up shops and other free store activities and what it has taken and will take to get the free store back open and what that will look like. Welcome, Laurieann, to Folk U Radio. Many may know you as one of the faces of the free store, one of the many volunteers that make that operation work. I'm hoping you can introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your involvement with the free store. Hi, uh, my name is Laurieann, and I've been a free store volunteer for, um, I think, 18 or 19 years. It wasn't consecutively. I did have a, I left the island for three years in between that. Well, what got you excited to start working with or being involved with the free store? Oh, for lots of reasons. Um, you know, like everyone, when they first move here, it's hard to believe that you can go into a, a store and just take whatever you like. And like a lot of people in the beginning, it was, you know, I, you just would take one thing and be like, really, I can just take this one thing and be quite nervous about it. And, you know, um, so that was just amazing. Also, the fact that there's all these things that normally would have ended up in the dump. 
that Nile could find a new home and a new purpose and, um, you know, not be discarded. It was also brilliant that being a rural community, it was hard to find little, you know, your toaster would break down or you need a little light switch or a piece of metal or you could just go and, and there it was. And whatever you asked for, it just seemed to magically appear. It was really, really quite something. It still is. As the pandemic has worn on, it's become clear that the community has really missed the free store and what that means. I'm wondering about some of the things that you did earlier in the pandemic to kind of relieve the community need for the free store. Right, yeah. So it was quite challenging not having the free store open and people definitely were upset about it. And so um, I figured maybe a good solution would be to do free store pop-ups. So I think I did five and I tried to divide it so that, you know, one time it would be in out at, at um, the Gorge and the next time here in Manson so that, you know, people could, each community could benefit and Scroll Cove could travel in between freely and easily. Um, so we did, I did several of those through the summer and then I did uh, a couple of just little mini pop-ups in front of the co-op store. Uh, one was a Christmas one and the other one was Halloween, which the Halloween one seemed to be out of everything the most successful. <laughs> people really enjoyed that. So the question that everybody is waiting for is when is the free store going to reopen? Uh, we're working on it right now. So the SRD, the Strathcona Regional District, is what the land that the free store lives on, has uh, a number of rules that we need to follow. The first thing, we had to make a COVID plan for opening, um, which they were very sweet and gave me the template to the Hornby plan, which um, I used and have sent that off. And so hopefully I'll be hearing soon with a stamp of approval. Um, and then we just have to get the store in uh, tip-top condition, a little clean down. So I'm thinking hopefully in a couple of weeks. And what about the volunteers? Have we managed to maintain the free store volunteers through all this craziness? Yeah, I phoned each and every one of them. They've, they've been, all of them have been there for numbers of years and we owed it to them to have first dibs on the reopening. Um, I have phoned them all, and they're all quite excited and looking forward to coming back to work and having the free store open. I've noticed during this time without the free store that the community started to really uh, get generative about ideas, what the future could look like. Um, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about the free store moving, the free store growing, about coming up with a different kind of parking situation so that we relieve some of the pressure on the dump? What's possible or likely? There could be some changes, absolutely. There is, there is like with everything, there's pros and cons to it all. It would be, it would be nice to have uh, a larger free store. It would be nice to have some new volunteers and some younger volunteers when we're up and running full time, especially in the summer as the population grows and we have a lot of tourists that just love the free store. Uh, the biggest problem and is the parking. Because as we are on the Strathcona Regional District land, we're also on, we're neighbors with Brian who's running a business. We're sort of on top of his business. If, if we were to move the store, it would create a lot of challenges in the sense of money. Um, the SRD pays for the hydro. Uh, Brian does a lot of the uh, removal of the discarded items that we don't want. He takes them down to the dump centre, the recycling so if we were to move, it would we'd have to first find land. Where would that be? Would we have to pay for it? Would it be donated? In what community? 
You'd have to set up um, a lot more volunteers. You'd have to have dump runs. We would have to pay for all of the upkeep, which right now most of it's covered by SRD and or Brian. We would also have to get insurance because right now we're under Brian's insurance. I think the easiest solution would be just to have a separate drive-in, whether that's from the main road when you're heading down to Squirrel Cove. Before you come in, there's that little parking area. Um, maybe we could access push, push in a road there, or just as you before you turn to go to the recycle cubicles, there's maybe you could just shoot up that road instead. Um, and this is a question that I do want to ask the SRD: what, what if we're able to do that? And then if so, maybe we can investigate and see how much that would cost. That seems like a simpler solution. But right now, my focus has just been on just getting the free store up and running at this point. Tell us a little bit more about how the free store will operate, how it look, how it'll be different when it reopens. Um, well, it's going to be the same as all the other stores in the community. Um, there'll be a greeter outside, a volunteer, to make sure that you get your hand sanitizer and to, if there's a lineup, you know, to make sure that the people inside only spend 15 minutes. If there's not a lineup, you're able to spend as much time as you like. There'll be six feet distancing. You'll have to wear a mask. And another sort of big rule is that we're not allowed to be open the same days as the dump recycling center. So that just leaves Mondays and Wednesdays. So those will be our days of operation. Also, all of the donations will have to be quarantined for a period of 48 hours. So Monday, whatever the donations come in on Monday, we're going to have to put in totes and put in the little back room for quarantine. Wednesday, we'll sort, put on the shelves, and then open the store. So we're going to need a couple hours in the morning to do all the sorting. So that means we'll be opening the store, we're thinking, uh, 10 or 11 o'clock. But I will definitely post the hours and the days when everything becomes cemented. I don't really know if people have been stockpiling for a year, which is a distinct possibility. So uh, to keep it not chaotic, we're um, going to have a bag per person per visit. And then we'll, we'll assess. And if, if it seems doable, then we can get more. I mean, the biggest problem right now is that we have to quarantine stuff. And the only place where we can keep it where it's warm and safe and dry is inside the free store in the wee back room. And it doesn't really hold that much. If we see that we're not going to get inundated and we can have more, we will update then. And what kind of things can people bring to the free store right now? You can bring whatever you like as long as it's not moldy, you know, um, full of holes, odor. The, the famous line at the free store always is, does this work? Yeah, but um, as soon as you say the yeah, but, we kind of cringe a little because we know that it's probably going to sit there for months and then we're going to have to be the bad guys and throw it out. Before COVID, they had stopped allowing large ticket items. The barn got downsized. The one side is for electronics. Now one is locked up, and that's Brian's domain. So we have a small section of the barn that's that's not for couches anymore or big things. Generally, if 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 you have a washing machine that's still functioning and usable, post it on the Tideline or My Cortez or one of those sites. Um, and if it's not, then it goes to the metal. There will be still small appliances and small light fixtures and all that sort of stuff that we'll still be able to take into the, the areas that are available um, and also whatever will fit in the store, of course. Thank you so much, Lorianne, and a big thanks to all those volunteers that keep the free store happening. I'd love to hear any last words of advice that you have to share with the rest of the community as we prepare for the, our favorite shopping experience on Cortez to return. 
Well, you know, we're just, we're opening up and, you know, we want to keep everybody safe as well as, you know, Brian and his staff and the volunteers and um, all of the community at large. And this is new for us. So I want everyone just to, to just be kind and patient and understanding and come with a good heart and take as much as you can and come as often as you can. That was Lorianne Wilkinson, Free Store Volunteer on Cortez Island, discussing the reopening plan for the Cortez Island Free Store with its new COVID safety protocol. We should have a free store again in just a few weeks. And before that, we heard from Noba Anderson, our elected representative with the Strathcona Regional District, talking about that special niche that the free store holds in the community and its sort of non-existence and what that means within the regional district structure. So as we think about making the free store more resilient or growing it in the future, understanding some of that bureaucracy will be an important part of it. Thank you so much to both of our guests for today and to all of you for listening and to the many, many people who called in, wrote in, and otherwise commented about this topic, which is near and dear to all of our hearts. Thank you again, neighbor. That's it for another edition of Folk U Radio. If you'd like to learn more about Folk U or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Folk U is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Radio dot C-A. brain's almost always got Something lame it's got to say This show is brought to you by the Local Journalism Initiative, the program funded by Heritage Canada and administered through the Community Radio Fund of Canada. It's embarrassing, all stupid things I can't